Yeah. So the challenge for me is always picking a path and sticking to it. <laughs> but um, I can say who I am now. Uh, my uh, name is Alicia Wilkes. I have a doctorate of nursing practice, um, but I typically don't have people refer to me as doctor. Um, just because one of my um, core beliefs and ways that I act in the world is really trying to meet people where they're at and partner with them um, and, you know, advocate and listen from um, a very equitable and um, kind of core place. So using the doctor um, tends to feel a bit more authoritarian and top down and um, prescriptive, which is really not part of the work that I do, ideally. Um, so currently, I'm, I have been for the past year um, working as a nurse midwife in the community in Colorado Springs. And what in the community means to me is that it's a home birth practice um, where we're working with, you know, a variety of folks who are choosing to birth their babies at home. And then if things become um, unsafe to be at home or, you know, decisions or choices change, that type of thing, we help them navigate, you know, getting to a place that feels more safe for them and for us. Um, and at all, also as a nurse midwife, depending on the state you're in, but here in Colorado, um, we're also able to see um, women and those folks identifying as women uh, um, for gynecological care, we call it well woman care, you know, PAPs, breast exams, contraception, family planning, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did, so previously, before coming to Colorado, I lived in Washington State. I was um, born in Seattle, raised on San Juan Island, and um, started my own um, midwifery practice, community-based midwifery practice, attending home birth, and then some freestanding birth center births. Um, I started that in 2014 and ran my private practice for about five years. Um, and then decided to change my life <laughs> and ended up here in Colorado, which is where my husband was born and raised. Um, but as part of my upbringing and who I've always kind of felt and identified with as internally um, is really about curiosity about bodies and how they interact with the world. Like I remember um, as a young child, like pouring over my grandmother's anatomy textbooks. So my grandmother, um, this is part of my personal and family history that I like to share because it's very meaningful to me. Uh, my grandmother was one of the first women um, to graduate from the University of Washington Medical School in the early 1950s. Um, she was brilliant, of course, <laughs> and, you know, very, you know, salmon swimming upstream type person. Um, she came across a lot of obstacles in her life. And one of them was developing rheumatoid arthritis as a young woman. Um, and so she had one child, my mother, um, very difficult pregnancy, um, but then wasn't able to practice the type of medicine that she had expected to because, you know, back in the 50s, the treatments for rheumatoid arthritis were just as debilitating as the disease itself. Um, so I remember she had, you know, very curled hands 
and a lot of pain. And so she wasn't able to do what she wanted to do in the medical field, but she did keep all of her medical textbooks. And then um, when she moved up to the San Juan Islands, she um, co-created the EMT and paramedic program up there. So she was teaching EMTs and paramedics. And as a young girl, I got to travel the islands and help her in those classes. And it just, it just was always something that just felt natural, like bodies are cool. <laughs> and I like, they're like magic, right? Like science and magic are like flip sides of the same coin for me. <laughs> uh, so I describe them, you know, in similar terms. So from a very young age, bodies were what I was gonna do. Um, and so in high school, I took Latin. I was planning on going to medical school. I really wanted to be a pediatrician because I've always kind of maintained the ability and the joy of speaking with children um, and, and meeting them where they're at. And they've always just been people to me. <laughs> Like, again, there's kind of not that power differential when I'm interacting with them. Um, but then when I was a junior in high school, a pediatrician came and spoke to my class and um, said something that changed the course of my life forever. Um, she said, if you really want or something to the effect, like this is a long time ago, something to the, <laughs> something to the effect of if you really want to work one-on-one -on -one with people, being a doctor might not be the right path for you because mostly what we do is diagnose and prescribe, right? And that I was like, oh gosh, no, that's not what I want. Like I really crave the relationships. And so I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, so I did a lot of different things. And then I met my husband-to-be, and we started a family much earlier than either of us was anticipating. But going through pregnancy and navigating that um, the challenges of finding care that felt appropriate but not knowing, I was very young. I was 20 when I became pregnant. Um, so I had not a lot of skills for advocating for myself or even knowing what was right for me and my body and my choices. Um, so that pregnancy was very challenging. And then my second pregnancy, um, I decided I advocated for myself. Uh, I had a friend who was doing the fast year um, midwifery naturopathic program that they had at the time. And she served as my doula and she was also a close friend. So she helped me navigate that and that my two pregnancy and birth experiences were very different. And I remember after my second pregnancy and my second birth, really feeling like I had so much more knowledge and so much more support. And it made such a huge difference that everyone should have access to that, right? So then I became a birth doula and I went on what I call a gathering birth wisdom, um, which I'm still doing <laughs> path. So I became, I took like lactation educator training and prenatal yoga training and childbirth educator. I just was like sucking it all up. And then when my children were both in school full-time, um, I started the path of going back to school and I had, I remember struggling a lot with figuring out which path to midwifery was going to be right for me because in Washington state, there is a very, very strong um, licensed midwife certified professional midwife um, culture 
and it's well supported and the you know the the cpms lms there have done so much work with the state to make you know midwifery easier to access for people and the practice to be more integrated into the system although it's not fully integrated for out of hospital birth of course um, but i remember having a conversation with a dear friend and colleague um, who you may have heard of jody lynn owen uh, and she and I were on a very similar trajectory, like starting as doulas at the same time and then going through midwifery school at the same time. And we've maintained a really lovely connection. But I remember talking to her, like, how do I decide whether or not to do the licensed midwifery route or the nurse midwifery route? And I remember uh, discussing this with her coming to the place of really feeling like the nurse midwifery route was going to be the best choice because nurse midwives in Washington state at the time were able to provide um, more uh, full scope care. So things like, you know, well woman contraception, you know, pretty much through puberty through end of life for folks with female reproductive organs. Um, so I was like, well, that's what I want. I wanted that continuity of care. Like I had this vision of being like, like the doctor on Little House in the Prairie who like saw people from birth to end of life and like went to their homes and everyone knew them, like that kind of thing. Um, so that's what I did. I started getting my nursing prerequisites and got my BSN, then um, practiced as a labor and delivery nurse um, in at a hospital in Tacoma for several years. And then I went back to get my master's, which allowed me to, you know, um, take the certification exam to become a CNM, Certified Nurse Midwife. And then while I was starting my practice, I decided to go on and get my doctorate as well, because one, I'm a glutton for punishment. And two, I love, I love academia in a lot of ways. I love the learning. I love, um, you know, acknowledgement of the learning, but I also have a lot of other feelings about that, but that's probably for another topic. So I started my practice like right out of the gate, which I feel like I was able to do with some confidence uh, because I had, I was familiar with care providers and doulas and midwives in the area having worked as a doula. And I had a, uh, another CNM who kind of took me under her wing and helped me you know, build my practice and was very supportive. Um, and then I decided to, when I closed my practice that I was gonna travel as a labor and delivery nurse, a travel nurse. And I learned a lot about um, labor and delivery and birth in the hospitals in different areas. And it was also very challenging. I describe working in the hospital um, in the birth arena after having been out of hospital and through the, you know, through the lens of, you know, doula and then nurse and then midwife as, um, it very, very similarly to what I was saying about my grandmother earlier, the salmon swimming upstream, because unfortunately, um, obstetrics and birth in America is one of the least evidence-based healthcare practices that we have. It just takes a long time for evidence to get into practice. And it's hard um, being, I guess, more of like a visionary and a heart-centered person to be in that environment and watch things done to moms and babies and families that you, you just know inherently, but also evidentiary that um, 
aren't in the best interest of the people that were, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be caring for. <laughs> so that's how I ended up where I am. And I, I, I don't know what my path is going to look like moving forward. Um, doing the on-call life of a home birth midwife is becoming more challenging as I age. I have, you know, this body that's closing in on 50 years of, um, of presence, but um, I also keep um, gathering different types of chronic illnesses along the way, <laughs> which just make things harder. Uh, so I'm navigating that, but I do so love midwifery and the midwifery model of care. And it's really my passion to, um, you know, walk beside people as they're navigating this journey of creation, co-creation, co and, you know, what it's like to be present with a whole new person coming into the world. Hmm. Thank you for sharing some of, some of the journey that you've been on. I, of course, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> clear, a clear picture of kind of like the beginnings and how much an influence your grandmother had on you. And then yes. the different stages. I love how you said that you were on the journey of collecting birth traditions. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it was, it, it, I felt there's been these different times throughout my journey where I felt very much kind of like a dry sponge that, you know, you get dropped into the ocean of new information and like suck it up. <laughs> and then you have to figure out how to kind of like sprinkle it around in your life. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I've, I personally have felt very fortunate to have found where my passion is as far as like the work that I want to do in the world and the manifestations of that obviously change over time but it's it's another one of the things that I think about frequently I, I tend to be like a big picture philosophical poetic type of thinker of like what a great world it would be if more people got to do what they love or even felt like they had the freedom or the time to discover what that is <laughs> Um, I think one of the things we find in healthcare in America, but also th throughout the American experience, that, um, and again, and I'm speaking as, you know, a white cisgendered person, um, and so that's my perspective, but um, like what we would be able to be like if we, if we had the opportunity to discover and follow our passions, because for me, it's felt like such a gift. Um, sometimes it's a burden, but I think that's just what being in life is, <laughs> the ups and downs. Yeah, to be able to explore things that are meaningful. I mean, even with challenges, I heard you say that, you know, you're like your grandmother had physical challenges, but she found a way with the EMTs. So yeah. to keep showing up for life and looking for ways to be of service and it may not be what you originally imagined but to be flexible and to be creative enough to to make a way yes absolutely and i think 
one of I being able to for me to be less prescriptive in for myself, like not having a clear direction, but trusting that following my passion, things will show up. Like that that's been my experience is that having a clear intentionality um, is when really great things happen. And when I'm in the places of not knowing or not having clarity, it's like, you know, being the amoeba in the muck, you don't know what you're going to evolve into. But I've been through this cycle enough times in my life now to be like, all right, it, this isn't going to last forever. <laughs> and I think having, you know, working with um, childbearing families and seeing them being present with them through you know the beginnings of of a of a family of a person and then into the you know early postpartum new parenting place um, it's really given more more fuel and more evidence for that perspective in, in my life and it you know it's kind of it, it could be like it feeds on itself type of thing but you know pregnant people are so open and even if they're not conscious of it there's this openness um, to receiving and to giving there's like this natural flow that happens um, where you're able to see the potential at, at least I am um, again that's part of my philosophical poetic outlook but I, I see so much potential in pregnant people and not just the pregnant people and the person that they're gestating, but for the world, like I just like I could take that and like run with it for days. <laughs> it's very inspiring to me. And then the flip side of it is it's also really heavy and sad when we're not, there's a grief to seeing that potential and then understanding that that's not always going to be accessed. Mm -hmm. I've heard some people describe that as the divine feminine, the experience of the divine feminine and not in a gendered sense. Yes. Although it can, you know, present that way in the earthly realm, but there's something that's very attractive. People are drawn to it. People are curious. And there's this excitement of like the potential, as you said. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about how you've witnessed and have been exploring this expression of the potential of uh, the human experience and healing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's hard for me to pick a starting point because it feels like one of the um, one of the descriptions for life that I keep coming back to is this, you know, idea of a spiral. I, I'm much more of a visual person than I ever really thought I was. <laughs> but for me, like we, we have this starting point, like we're the center of a spiral. And, um, and then we, you know, we're, we're gestated, which is the beginning of our experience in this embodiment. And then we're born and then we have this life and then we keep coming back to these places that are, say they're like spokes on a wheel, which would be part of the spiral, where we have the same sort of like say, spiritual experience, 
but we come to it with different information, you know, different experiences that we've had along the path. And so it's hard for me to pick one spot on that spiral and start. So what I would say is like, if I'm, if I'm working with a pregnant person um, and I'm getting to know them, you know, I like how they're showing up, the challenges that they have in their life and their relationships, you know, in their bodies, uh, the magical and often frustrating thing for folks um, during pregnancy is how, let's see, how fast things change and how little time there is adapt to adapt to those changes. Like pregnancy in itself has the potential to be a very rapid form of self-realization and, and self-evolution. Um, because if, from my perspective, um, pregnancy really offers you a chance, pregnancy and parenting um, really offer you the chance to come up against all, all of your challenges. <laughs> like how you feel about being in a body, you know, how you feel, felt as a child, how you were gestated, and whether or not we even address any of those things during a pregnancy really depends on that the person, you know, sitting across from me, um, because the last thing that I want to do is, um, is put any of my stuff on to the, the other person. So it's very much like a dance as, as, we're, as we're getting to know each other and, like, and how we show up in the moment. Because as much as I try to be you know, open to receiving who this person is and open to providing what that person needs in that moment, um, you know, I'm still a person and my ego shows up and sometimes my blood sugar is low or I didn't have enough sleep. <laughs> But that's also, but the, but honoring that is also part of that potential, right? Because how I show up has a huge influence on what that person experiences. And the words that I say to a pregnant person, the feeling behind those words has the potential to have a dramatic impact on one, how they feel, which is huge because we, we know from evidence and also just you know speaking with people, but women remember how they felt during pregnancy. And in particular in birth, like they might not remember the words people said to them, although a lot of them do, but you, know, you can talk to a 90 something year old person that had a baby or had a pregnancy and uh, they'll be able to tell you how the people in their space made them feel. So that the intricacy, the, you know, the web of how we show up together is part of that potential. Um, and, and I think, I think like that's very encouraging and hopeful, but I think part of why our um, healthcare system and I'm just going to have a throw in the caveat here that I are, you know, Western medicine, I don't believe there's any health or care in our system currently. <laughs> so it's a misnomer. Uh, but I think part of the reason that we're struggling so much in that system 
is because we all feel the truth of the importance of that relationship and how we show up. Um, but there's little to no room for processing or acknowledging that. Um, and we're kind of we're at this we're at this place where there's all of this knowledge and understanding and this feeling of of honoring that potential of what a pregnancy means and what a new person means. And then there's all this grief and sadness and trauma that each of us holds individually, having been gestated and born. <laughs> um, but the people who are in the system who have seen pregnancies, seen births, they can be re-traumatized and re-triggered as well. So there's this juxtaposition between, you know, kind of the light and the shadow aspects of the of pregnancy and birth and, and this potential. And unfortunately, I think we get stuck in that shadow piece um, because we don't, there's just not a systemic understanding of it. And there's not a systemic, we, we don't have a common language. Um, it's, it's encouraging that we're seeing a lot more recognition of things like um, pregnancy anxiety, pregnancy depression, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. But um, unfortunately, or fortunately, right, it's neither here nor there, not right or wrong, um, that it, we're still focusing on the pregnant person um, and their experience. Um, and we haven't, as you know, we haven't culturally expanded to understand that it's, it's really interconnected, right? You can't, I, I blame Darwin for all of this, which is a whole nother discussion, <laughs> but, but, uh, but taking it, I mean, he had a lot of great ideas, but, but, but describing the body as a mechanism, like a clock or a machine, um, I think really ruined a lot of things. And, and I think we're still dealing with that, right? We're still dealing with the repercussions of, of trying to separate ourselves out into pieces, um, which, you know, for, can be helpful you know, to understand pieces, but there's like the sum is much greater than the parts, right? Um, and for me, that's all about, I, I really come down to the relationship piece. Like for me, um, health and healing really happen in relationship. So that's where I see a lot of that potential. Mm. It really highlights the responsibility um, and hopefully the consciousness that healthcare providers that work with pregnant folk, as well as anyone that interacts and has relationship with pregnant people um, can, can remember to show up and to recognize, you know, how much influence, it's like a circle of influence. You said that you're a visual person and you talked about the spiral. And when you were describing that relationship and that like ecosystem around the birthing parent, I was thinking, what if people actually, as part of their health and healing, drew an image where the, you know, the, the mother was at the center and then she got really clear about who she wanted actually in her circle of care and who she could count on for support and maybe who could be a little bit further, <laughs> further afield. Yeah, I think that's, that's an excellent, an excellent perspective. Um, and, and that, and again, the, I, I, my 
understanding, having you know done this work for a long time and just been an embodied person with health challenges myself, is that you know we're we're stuck in this loop of one not acknowledging that we already have all the wisdom we need internally and that if health and healing does happen in relationship it's really the reflection of ourselves and our potential that the person sitting across from us offers us um, that allows us to kind of spark that and 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 acknowledge it from within um, being a mirror and this is a whole nother thing, like mirror neurons are a thing, like this is brain science, which is a whole nother discussion that I love. But um, being a mirror for another person um, requires, um, well, one self-knowledge, but also self-grace, right? And, and in the, you know, our healthcare system as it is now, there's so little space for people, for healthcare workers or providers to, um, to have space for their own experience. Uh, like I just recently learned, and this is like beyond mortifying to me, that um, health, that doctors, like medical doctors, um, if they access mental health care um, services, it can go on their record and they can be, um, they can, their licenses can be withheld. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> just like so that's like just part of why our system is so effed up, excuse my language. Yeah, like it's yeah. just it's just gross. It's so fundamentally wrong. Like like it makes me feel ill. And and how how could people possibly be providing health care to another person if they don't feel healthy or cared for themselves. Like, I just don't see how that can even work. And I think it's not working because the, all our evidence is, is that it's not working for anybody. Like it's not, the, the, the system only works for the system. Like, because we live in a capitalistic society. And the, honestly, that's the only society I've lived in. So who knows, you know, grass is always greener on the other side, right? But I just, it's so complex. And, and again, like having to pick one spot to address it from becomes really frustrating because I see it as so interconnected and, and entwined. And, and part of what I get to do working with, you know, pregnant folks and the beginnings of families is acknowledge the consciousness and the experience of the person being gestated. So fetus. And, and that's something that we're still not great at in our culture, right? There's still providers that think that newborns can't feel anything, which like we have so much evidence. Well, even if we didn't have science, which is this whole nother thing, um, like you, you look at a baby, they're crying, you, you prick their foot, they cry more, like you know they can feel. But we've, so many of us, like culturally, I think in this system, have shut down the truth of that because we were poked and prodded and we our pain and feelings weren't acknowledged when we were born so it's just this perpetuation um because the space for healing the amount of grief and 
pain and trauma we would have to acknowledge as individuals, let alone as a culture, is so huge. Like it's, if you take even a deep breath and even just, you know, 10, 20 seconds to like get down into your heart and your gut, which is where a lot of your heart is, um, and think were my needs met as I was being gestated or born, many of us wouldn't have that sense, right? And that's huge. Like that's a huge thing because we come into the world primed for connection. We come into the world with all the tools and resources we need to get our needs met. Like I watch babies do this, it's miraculous. Like they can look you in the eye, they see you. And, and I mean, they really see you. Like it's, there's a really deep connection, right? And no matter how hard the pregnancy has been or if the pregnant person hasn't felt connected to the baby or there's been trauma or abuse during the pregnancy or the birth was traumatic, that just that opportunity to look and connect with that newborn's eyes, the potential for healing just in that connection is astronomical. Like that has the potential to heal the world from my experience, because we're so seen by such a new person, right? A person that has, you know, has the experience of being gestated. Like we come with our pregnancy experience, um, but, but we also come ready to forgive because, because we feel and we know right from our beginnings that it's that connection that's gonna get us through our lives. And a lot of us don't have that. We're taken away, we're bathed, we're poked, we're prodded. <laughs> you know, we don't get to even be on our, our parents' skin. You know, we're, it's like all of the things we're robbed of and yet look at how well we flourish despite that. So on the one hand, we I see so much potential in what we would be like if our needs were met right from the beginning. Not even all of them, just some would be, <laughs> would be great. And I mean like physical needs, but also spirit, like that need for connection. Um, but, but, but so many of us don't have that, that and yet we're still here. We're still trying. I mean, we're so adaptable. The human species is really amazing. But what I would like is to not hear so much, well, I made it through, you know, I'm okay, you know, and more of, I, that really sucked. That really hurt me. And I would like other people to not have that experience. Yeah, again, around in the spiral. Yeah. If we didn't have it in our own birth and our own process of being birthed and through our throughout our childhood, and we somehow disconnect from our own needs and our own mattering and our own voice about asking for what we need, we always have the opportunity to invite ourselves to come back to ourselves and to honor ourselves 
but what a great time to do it when you're, when you're pregnant and what you were saying about, I just got through it, you know, like it's all a blur, it's stressful. Um, in my own experience of having two children, you know, I can be vulnerable and say, I wish it was different. You know, I don't feel guilt or shame about the birth experience or how things went, but now I wish, I mean, like I can acknowledge, I wish it was different. I wish that I was aware of what my needs were. I wish I had community who actually saw the depth of my needs and made offerings and supported me. I wish that I had a voice to ask for what I needed, but I think I was, you know, mostly just getting through and I, I, I pieced together little bits of help, but I think there's a wisdom of having someone that's gone through that and then been with families and knows that there's potential and also harm prevention. Like, why would we allow families to go through this without proactively supporting them? We know what happens when they don't have support. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, that's the big question. And I, and I think that a lot of the why is because we're really missing the connection piece. Like our, like, like, like the, the colonized, you know, white American culture it, um, we're just not good at that. Like um, we've got all this like puritanical individualism, all these roots that um, that really need to be acknowledged. One, which is so, I'm so hopeful that a lot of this is coming to you know expression. As painful as it as it is, um, I I I can see the light side of it. Like this process that this acknowledgement process that we have to go through. And I, we just, well, there's so many more layers that we need to get down to. And I really think that this, this pregnancy and birth experience, um, that one is so deep because it's shared by all of us that it's just, it's going to take a lot of individuals doing that work before it comes to cultural fruition. What's really exciting is that there are, are a lot of groups doing this and acknowledging this, um, and they're all over the place, and they're you know they're doing their great work, and it and as they're doing this work, I really I, it will come up to you know more you know broad consciousness, um, but you know the, I mean the trauma informed care stuff that's happening in in the medical world. I mean, the one side of that is that's great. We're acknowledging trauma. Um, but the other side is it's really other focused. Um, like there are pieces that I'm hearing, like you have to do your own work and acknowledge your own trauma. But then again, we're not providing any support for that to actually happen, right? <laughs> because doctors can't see mental health care providers. <laughs> because, um, I mean, really, I think what a lot of people come up against, and I experienced this when I was uh, a, a young staff nurse um, at la in labor and delivery, like I came into it with all of this knowledge that I was so excited to share because I had been a doula and a lactation educator and all this stuff. And I had seen birth in a lot of different environments. Like I'd seen it in the home. I'd seen it in birth centers. I'd seen it in the hospital. I'd seen it on the side of the road in a car. Like I was like... I've got all this stuff that I can bring to you. And like, no one wanted to hear it. 
like they I mean it went from everything like oh that's nice dear like we don't have time for that too oh my gosh we don't do that here right like and the rigidness around it was so palpable to me like I could just feel the resistance and I don't think it was because people didn't care it's because they couldn't make space for it it was just too much like just getting through the you know the 12 hour shift and making sure nobody died uh, like and maybe getting to the bathroom once was was all there was space for mm-hmm. and i would and i just remember being like how do any of us make it out of here alive like <laughs> yeah. and i could feel myself like i think i was only a staff nurse for like 3 years i think um but over the course of those three years, I could feel that the resistance and the boundaries becoming hard around me. And I, it felt so gross because that's not how I wanted to be, but I could feel how, if that was going to be my life, like if that was my job, like there, something had to give, right? Because the system did not support people being fully expressive human beings. Like you just had to be there and do your job. Like if you could even connect with the patient in the room for a couple of minutes, I mean, that was extra, right? Which was just like so gross, but I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot being a part of that system. Um, I just, yeah, I learned that there's no health or care for anybody unless you're lucky because humans are, amazing. I've had many conversations with teachers and people that work in corporate settings and all kinds of environment. And the common thread is what you said. It becomes a factory model when the system and the policies don't actually support the people that they're built to serve. It goes beyond health or uh, learning. I know that was another topic, you know, you yep. spent many years in academia. So, but recognizing the patterns when, when people are rigid with, with the way things are supposed to be and will be, then you lose a sense of belonging and connection. Like you start to wonder, do I actually have a role here? Do I belong yep. here? Yeah. Or do I matter? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, am I valued um, with, with how I show up? And yeah, and I, ju- and I see that, you know, from my, you know, pregnancy, you know, birth lens, or even just div- like the divine feminines that a lot of the people I work with, you know, identify as women. And I think there's, that's a whole, it's whole own experience in our culture. Um, and like if if we're talking like the yin and yang like um the that openness piece of the yin the vulnerability the receptivity the the potential for creation um which which in my mind has to be vulnerable right because we don't know what it's going to be like we have to be open to the possibilities and a lot, a lot of the feminine experience in our culture is having to shut that down or only allow it to show up at certain pieces, like attractiveness and sexiness. Like I can be open to receiving 
you know, your yang. <laughs> um, or, you know, the, the pregnancy and birth piece, like uh, it's, you're supposed to be all glowy and, and, you know, the healthiest time of your life and so happy about this baby coming. And that's not everybody's experience. And that's not the consistent experience throughout the pregnancy and birth. Like we show up in pregnancy and birthing, like we show up in the rest of our lives. It's typically um, just a lot bigger for people, right? The feelings that they have in their everyday lives when they're not pregnant or birthing um, show up uh, usually a lot more forcefully or assertively, <laughs> like demanding our attention. Um, and for a lot of people, that's really uncomfortable and they feel wrong um, and bad and I have so much judgment about being emotional or hormonal, which a lot of women um, experience like throughout their cycle. And we're just not supposed to be that way, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it, there's so that people expect to be who they are non-pregnant when when they're pregnant and that's just not often what happens or if it is what I see is people again what we were talking about in having to work in a system is they're shutting off access some access to some parts of their experience and I think that's really where that potential piece comes in is if people even if they're just able to expand a little bit beyond what's comfortable or kind of reach, you know, just kind of dance up or snuggle up next to a boundary that they had, there's that potential for them to access a whole range of things that they might not have experienced before. It include up to and including, you know, previous traumas, like childhood traumas will all often come up in pregnancy if not always. Um, and so we have this capacity to heal. I mean, pregnancy, I mean, if we're talking like really big picture, you know, spiritual, you know, woo-woo stuff, I'd, uh, if, if a pregnant person is ever gonna have the opportunity to heal or face something, it's gonna happen then. And if it doesn't happen in pregnancy, undoubtedly it will happen during parenting because kids, your children are going to bring you the opportunity to face your own stuff repeatedly, <laughs> just like over and over and over again. And that's why I, I kind of frame it as pregnancy and parenting or like this fast forward of, you know, self evolution. Like if you're open to it, you really have the opportunity to become your best self. Um, and again, best, I mean, it's not good or bad. It's just. Maybe language. more your true self. Yes. Yeah. Access, access your potential, I guess, if we're, if we're going to use that, that language again, mm -hmm. it's, it's really amazing. And, and when, when, when I'm sitting across from pregnant couples or pregnant people, one of the things like when they're talking or, or expressing to me things that are challenging, like, um, I'm trying to even come up with an example. Oh, like 
one of the examples is like talking to their families about it, especially around home birth, because there's, it's not a thing that a lot of our culture does. So they'll be talking about how like their parents or in-laws are, they're afraid to tell them, or there's a lot of pushback or people are afraid or angry. And so one of the, I, you know, I listen, of course, and then throughout that discussion, at some point, I'm usually saying something like, well, I like to offer people the perspective that pregnancy, what you face in your pregnancy is often the perfect preparation for parenting your child. Like pregnancy is really going to offer you everything you need, all the experiences, like how to be patient, how to not know what's going to happen, how to have to change your mind, how to have to, you know, how to communicate with your family, <laughs> you know, how to communicate with your partner, how to express your needs, like the, and that's all the tools and resources you're going to need to parent who this person is once they're on the outside. Um, and I, I honestly believe that's true. Like I've seen it time and time again, like, cause every pregnancy is unique. And that same thing with the labor and birthing experiences, like they're all different. And I think, I really think they're offering us what we need to be perfectly prepared for parenting once this person's on the outside. And by perfectly, I don't, you know, I mean, it's kind of a well-rounded, <laughs> a well-rounded set of experiences. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, if we're open to it and not that it's easy, not that it's enjoyable, <laughs> but it's, but it is an opportunity that's presenting itself and we can either resist and be rigid and avoidant or we can find small or large ways to open, to allow, and to be transformed by the invitation. And it, it's not just true for the person that gives birth. It could be anyone that's in relationship with, you know, the family. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, I think what we need in order to be able to access that potential is the support of our communities and our families and our care providers. And by support, I mean, not just, not just being there, but like having that sense of potential as well, like holding that space for people. It's really about creating a safe container for people to do their work. And I, another thing that's really challenging, I think, for people in general, is being with and holding presence for people's discomfort, like their shadow side, the darkness piece, because that's a reality. And we get so scared, like we, we're just so, we're so triggered and traumatized, you know, to use the words of the day um, around, you know, that shadow stuff that shows up for people. And that's just as important just as important as, as, you know, the, oh, all the good oxytocin stuff <laughs> that happens, because that's a reality, like, that's, that's the world we live in, like, there are stressors, and there are challenges, and bodies experience pain, and sometimes they get sick, and we have difficult relationships, and things come up, and we, part of my work is to hold space for all of that for people and to really 
be that mirror that reflects back to them that this is wisdom that you have about yourself. Like you don't need me to tell you what your experience is or what your experience should be. You need me to be in coherence with you so that you, so that you can feel your feelings, do your work, but know and feel that you're not alone doing it because that's where healing happens in my opinion and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone, like you said at the beginning, even an infant can give you that eye contact, that deep heart soul connection in the first few seconds of life, And if you're able to be that person when they're going through challenges and they're stretched beyond capacity, it doesn't necessarily make it not traumatic, but they're not alone and they have a witness. They have someone that they know that is there to support them. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And I I think that's part of why it's it's so challenging and rich, right? That that in, like, cause we all feel that intensity, but how we show up for it just really varies in how, you know, healed we are within ourselves or, or how, if we've felt acknowledged or if we've had presence, um, for our experiences, because I mean, really like when, when we are present with pregnancy and birth in particular, like everyone in the room is re is rebirthing themselves right we're all re-experiencing our own births our own you know how we felt whether or not we were connected um and and it's really interesting to see how people show up for that like in home birth um often it's just it's like it's huge and miraculous like because oftentimes the people who are present have experienced that before right like because there's so much more space for it because we're not as limited by the system or ah where it is it's like a portal like that everything opens up and it's like you have access it's like to the universal unconsciousness or the divine feminine or godliness um because you've been present for this huge transformative part of life. It's, and, uh, but the more constrained it is, uh, the more hardened people's, you know, outer shells or boundaries are, um, the less acknowledgement that is for each person in the room. But what's really unfortunate in my perspective is there's, there's the lack of acknowledgement for the birthing person, the person being born and their immediate family members too, right? Like it just becomes another thing that happens or there's more stuff to do next, right? That when there are people present supporting a birth and it's not their first time experiencing it, but each time is unique, I think they bring with them a wisdom, a groundedness, a flexibility, And maybe it's because they've had such experience, a varied experience and recognizing that there isn't a right or a wrong. There just is what is absolutely not being heavy with expectations about how things will go. It's just like holding gently, you know, to the situation and, and supporting and allowing. 
but yes. being there with people that it may be their first time or their fifth time. Yeah. And yeah. And again, the language I use for that is really like holding space. And what's interesting is like, for me, like the very different roles of, you know, being a, a doula versus like a midwife um, and how like the core of holding space is the same. But, you know, the things that I have to be, you know, think or have to be, the things I choose to be <laughs> considering or conscious of are very different because the roles are very different. But holding space is really a whole, not only holding space for the experience of the birthing person and their family, but for myself as well. Like, like I, I have practiced and become adept at hearing my own internal wisdom, like about what might be happening in the room. And I've really become attuned, not only to the birthing person's experience, but, you know, kind of what's happening with the other people in the room as well. And a lot of my role becomes modulating people's um, fear and their anxiety levels by, by, be, by becoming very solid in, in who, and in, in, in my experience. So become, I'm a, like a, I'm like a grounding rod for people, I think a lot. Um, because so much comes up for people, whether or not they're aware of it. And fear ha is a huge, like tentacly um, <laughs> presence in, in the birthing and a laboring space. Um, and it's part of it, right? Because there's the anxiety, there's the unknown, but you can, I've definitely become adept at feeling like if, if there's a person experiencing a lot of fear or anxiety, how, how to navigate that with people because I'm um, acutely aware of how much that has the potential to affect the birthing person's ability to do their work because they're so open and, you know, they're so attuned to everybody else in the room that if somebody is experiencing fear or anxiety, it really has the potential to um, affect what's happening with that pregnant person. So they can slow down their labors, it can increase their pain, and all sorts of different things happen. Um, so it's, it's, and it's just, it's like this little microcosm of how interconnected we all are and how it all, we all affect everything about each other, uh, which I love about it. And if we just, if we all had the potential to be just a little more conscious of it, again, we would have access to like, whoa, like this is so 100% about me and not about me at all. 